Erev Tov, we are continuing with Agadata. The purpose of tonight's shiul is very simple. We've taken a break of maybe six weeks, and we have to make sure that we remember everything we studied beforehand, because I cannot build a building of Agadah if I'm not able to know for certain that you know the foundation of the sugya. If this Mishnah that we've studied already more than once is not ingrained in your heart and your mind, if you can say it over by heart, next week's shiul and the following shiul and the following shiul will have that less meaning to you. Because when this becomes your Mishnah, when you own this Mishnah, when you start to read ideas into a Mishnah that you own, something that you already know, it's all that, it's that much more powerful. Imagine a person who's never studied Chumash before. They come to hear Shiul, Parashat HaShavua. They listen to Parashat HaShavua for the first time. Sounds wonderful. Only somebody who knows Parashat HaShavua well is able to identify when they hear something fantastic. Because they've learned this parashah so many times before that only now when they've heard something that they've never heard before, they're able to really understand how brilliant it is. The same with the words of Agadah. Anything that you study, if you don't have a foundation in it, you truly are unable to appreciate what comes afterwards. I cannot tell you how often this was the case when I studied in Yeshivot, especially before I met Arab Peretz. That in Yeshiva, they would teach you all kinds of wonderful chidushim, all kinds of novel insight, all kinds of details, and picking apart little, uh, little, mamash, tiny details, not even details, micro details. But nobody actually knew the sugya. Nobody knew what they were talking about. We'd be picking apart a pasuk that the Gemara mentioned, but nobody had ever studied that part of the Nevi'im to even understand what pasuk we're talking about. And so this Mishnah, if it sounds repetitive, it's because Shinun, repeating what we learn, is exactly what reminds us, what ingrains in us the Torah that we've studied. Tanu Rabbanan, Shanu Chachamim, our rabbis taught, our rabbis learned, truthfully our rabbis reviewed over and over and over and over and over again. I had a, a rabbi who taught me once and he said, our rabbis repeated. That's why they were rabbis, because they kept learning. They never stopped. They were Tamil Chamim, real Tamil Chamim. So we're going to become Tamil Chamim tonight. We're going to do this Mishnah again. I'm going to try in tonight's Yul to do everything that we've done until now in this Mishnah so that even if you weren't here beforehand, this will be a recap Yul. And for those of you who were and you know and you remember, so now's the time to double check your notes and to make sure that everything that you knew the first time around is true the second time around. Let's first read the Mishnah together. And remember that you can interrupt me at any point in time. That's why we have Zoom and all this uh, Bluetooth speakers and everything else around here so that I can hear you and you can hear me. In whichever Masechet Barachot you have, we are in the first page of the first Mishnah. Asks the Mishnah, from when do we read Shema in the evening? From when? It seems that the consensus among our Chachamim is all the same. The beginning time, the start time of Kirat Shema, from the moment in which the Kohanim enter to eat their terumah, to eat their food, which only Kohanim are allowed to eat. Until when? Until when can they read Shema Yisrael? That already is a whole different question. And over here you have three different opinions among the Chachamim. Ad sofa Until the end of the first watch, Divrei Rabbi Eliezer. These are the words of Rabbi Eliezer. 
Do you remember what watches are? How does Rashid define a watch? Based on the Gemara in a few pages from now. What's the definition of a watch? A smart. Uh, yeah, I know, but what does it mean? One third of the night. Very good. So, so by the way, it's, uh, let's say that right now we're assuming the night has thirds. In a few pages from now, the Gemara is going to entertain a notion that the night has quarters. And that there are four Ashmurad versus three Ashmurad. But what happens at a third of the night? What's, the word Ashmurad literally means a watch, a guard. What happens? That's, no, that's why we start saying Shema in the evening. But what is an Ashmurad? What happens at these three times in the night? Let's look at Rashi together. Let's look. Rashi, it's the second one here. Shlish Halayla, it's a third of the night. Like Rabbi Yosef said. Can the Farish Bagmara that explains in the Gemara, Umisham Vela, Havazman? Okay, we read this already. I told you. This, this Rashi is a few pages from now. Rashi writes. I'm using an Enyakov tonight and not my regular Gemara. Does someone have a regular Gemara in front of you? I have, I have one here. Here. In Rashi and Gimel Amud Aleph, so on page 3a, Rashi writes, What are, what are mishmarot? What's an ashmoret? Avodat malachim, the service of the angels. Veshir shalahem nechlak leshalosh chalakim. And the song that the angels sing is split up into three parts. Rishona lekatachat. The first song is written for the first group. Shniya lekatacheret. The second for the second group of angels. Shlishit lekat shlishit. The third group reads the third song. There is an opinion that says there are four watches of angels. So we say, until the end of the first watch. Watch means the changing of the guards of the angels. It's important to remember this. We're using this term for a reason. And we'll talk about it. Back to our mission. The changing of the guards, the Kohanim or the Nidhiim, specifically the angels? Specifically the angels. Which is why the Gemara is going to ask us a little bit later, how on, you know, every siman, every, every, every shiur, every zaman, every time calculation, every measurement of chazal, all of our chachamim always told us things that we could measure on our own. So how much bread? An olive, an egg. What time do we say something? Sunrise, sunset, three stars. These are things that are, we can understand. We can find them on our own. We don't need fancy calendars. How is a person supposed to figure out when the first watch, the second watch, the third watch, the Gemara is going to discuss with us that very question of how on earth, literally, how on earth are we able to recognize what happens in heaven? And what do we recognize down here that tells us what is happening up there? Yep. The Mishnah continues. The Chachamim say, Until midnight. 
So we have Rabbi Eliezer says until the end of the first watch. It's a third of the night. Chachamim say until midnight. Rabban Gamliel says, Until the pillar of dawn rises. Amud HaShachar. So there's a three-way argument here. You have Rabbi Eliezer saying until the end of the first watch. Chachamim are telling us until midnight. Rabban Gamliel is telling us until the morning, pretty much, until the next day. If you remember, everyone tells us the reason why we start saying Shema at Tzedek Chavim when three stars come out, which is really Mishasha Kohanim Nechassim Nechobotumatan, the same time the Kohanim entered the Terumah, is because this is considered a Zman Shkiva. The Torah tells us when are we supposed to read Shema Yisrael at night? The Torah tells us, When you go to sleep and when you wake up. It seems that Rabbi Yezel, his understanding of this pasuk is that you can say Shema Yisrael so long as people are actively going to sleep. And there's a very short window from when three stars come out until the end of the first watch that you can say Shema Yisrael. Chachamim, they seem to understand, or Rabban Gamliel at the very least, let's say Rabban Gamliel, that his opinion is you can say Shema the whole night pretty much until the next morning. I mean, so long as people are sleeping, not going to sleeping, then you are still able to say Shema Yisrael of the evening. And we're going to see this right now. Maaseh, there's a story. Uvau banav mi The children of Aban Gamliel come from the Beit HaMishteh. We've mentioned a few understandings of Beit HaMishteh. We're going to go through them again in just a moment. His children came from a wedding, from a party, from somewhere where they drank alcohol. Amulo, they told him, Lo we did not read Shema Yisrael. We forgot. It's late at night, we forgot to say Shema Yisrael. Amar lehem, Rabban Gamliel tells them, Im lo ala amud ha-shachar, If dawn, the pillar of dawn, did not yet rise, then you must read Kiryat Shema. And you can imagine these children understand that their father is of the opinion that you can read Shema Yisrael until the morning. But what about, who? What about the Chachamim? The Chachamim say that we're only allowed to read Shema Yisrael until midnight. Clearly that time has passed. And says to them, Rabban Gamliel, "V'lo It's not only this that our Chachamim say. Every time you see the Chachamim write to us, "Ad Chatzot," you have until midnight. Mitzvatan ad amud Really, you can do it. The mitzvah extends all the way until dawn. Hekter chalavim ve'varim, the sacrificing of the fats and the limbs. The mitzvah is until dawn. And all of those korbanot, those offerings that you must eat within one day, the mitzvah is until morning. If that's the case that Chachamim and Rabban Gamliel agree with each other, why do our Chachamim not tell us the truth? Why do they say Ad Chatzot? Why do they tell us we only have until midnight if they seemingly agree with Rabban Gamliel, according to him? Why? In order to distance a person from an avera. Meaning, they created a, a cushion just for the children of Rabban Gamliel, you see this. They missed Kirechma. They only remembered after midnight. Ah, says Rabban Gamliel, good you ask? Because even according to the Chachamim, you could say now, so why did they tell me only until midnight? 
they wanted to make sure that before you went to the party and before you would forget, that you would make sure to read, read Kriyashma, and so that even if you would forget to read it, you still have enough time to recite Kriyashma. This is the reading of the Mishnah, as we did it the first time, understanding everything the way it's written, just like that. Let's look at some details that we discussed in our last year together. I want to read you through some shitot, some opinions, some things that, some different ways to read this sugya. Let's start with the first word, me'matai. Me'matai. The Mishnah starts off the question telling us, from when do we read Shema in the evening? From when? What's the commandment in the Torah? We said, what are the two words the Torah uses for when we're supposed to read Shema Yisrael? At night, Beshoch Becha, right? Beshoch when you go to sleep. In the morning, Ufkumecha. If the Torah would have told us, Ba'erev, Uva Boker, you read it at night, you read it in the day, says the Me'iri, we would never have to ask this question, If the Torah would have specified a time, an actual time, read Shema at night, read Shema in the day, we wouldn't have a question. But because the Mishnah, the Torah tells us, when you sleep and when you wake up, those are not standard times. The time of sleeping, the time of waking. Because of that, says the Miri, that we even have room for this question in the first place. The Mishnah starts with Me'ematai, from when? Because we know what the Torah says. The question is, what does the Torah mean when the Torah says, Bishokh Bechav Kumecha? That's the question of this Mishnah. Second, Korin. Me'ematai, Korin et Shema Ba'aravim. From when do we read Shema Yisrael in the evening? Korin is in plural, in Hebrew, Bishon Rabim. Why plural? Why plural? Anybody remember the Ritba that we mentioned then? The Ritba. We mentioned the Ritba last time we asked this question. Or maybe I'll say it a little better. In Masechet Megillah, it says, Hamigillah Nikret. The Megillah is red. But here it says in plural, From when is Kriyat Shema? Read, Korin, from when do we, we read, in plural, read Kirachma? What's the difference between Mikra Megillah and Kirachma, says the Ritba, you remember? He bases on Yerushalmi? Yeah, I think so. That with, with Megillah, one person discharges for everybody. But with Kirachma, each and every individual has the obligation to read for himself. Very good. That's the Ritba's answer. The Ritba says, by Megillah, every person. It can be Yotzeh with one person. So one Chazan can go up and read the Megillah for everybody, and that's good enough. That's why the Mishnah speaks about it in the singular. But when it comes to Kriyat Shema, reading the Shema Yisrael, everybody has to say Shema Yisrael for themselves, and because of that it says Korin in plural, as opposed to in singular. So if that's true, then here's the next question. Right now when the Mishnah is talking about reading Shema Yisrael, the Mishnah is saying Korin in plural. But when it discusses the blessing, in a few pages, when it discusses the blessing of the Barachot of Kirachma, it uses the word Mivarech, Bishon Yachid, an individual. One person blesses. 
So what's the difference between the Shema Yisrael itself and the Berachot, the blessing of Shema Yisrael? I mentioned to you uh, Gaon of Vilna in his book Shnot Eliyahu. Anyone remember that one? The Gaon of Vilna mentions that only by the blessings of Kiryat Shema can the Chazan read the blessings for everyone else, fulfill the obligation for other people. But when it comes to the Shema itself, Korin. Everybody has to read the Shema itself for itself. So he's showing you further that when the blessings are referred to in the Mishnah, it's in singular, but when the Kirat Shema itself is referred to, it's referred to in the plural, to show you that everyone must read for themselves. Shagat Aryeh, famous Shagat Aryeh, he, con- he argues with the Gona Vina. He says it's not true. Rather, an individual can recite Kirat Shema for everybody, not just the Shema Yisrael, not just the blessing of the Shema Yisrael, but also the Kirat Shema itself. If you look in the Mishnah Burak, he mentions that almost all the Chaunim rule like the Shagat Aryeh. Nonetheless, let's put those Chaunim aside. I believe the Gona Vilna's understanding of this sentence here is quite accurate. To understand, to read things as they're written. Why does it say here something and there it says something else? You have to have a good answer for that. Chachamim were meticulous in their language. Tiferet Yisrael, he suggests one more thing. There are those who argued with him. They didn't accept what his, he said. Tiferet Yisrael says, Korin, Korin, not just reading as in, you know, sometimes you go to Bede Knesset. I never understood it. I sometimes go to Bede Knesset. Especially we go to our Bet Knesset of our brothers, Ashkenazim. And they do, Baruchut Hashem Vorach, it's a big tarangam. Arvit, Umavir Yom, Umavir Laila, the Chazan could spend 10 minutes doing Umavir Yom, Umavir Laila. Kihem Chayenu, Vorchamenu, the Rak comes, Ohev, Edamo Yisrael, and what happens? Shema Yisrael, and the whole room goes quiet. It's almost like all of the preparation for Shema Yisrael, we said out loud, comes Shema Yisrael, everyone goes quiet. It sounds like a beehive. Everyone's whispering Shema Yisrael to themselves. That's how you reach Shema Yisrael. Tifel is a Korin. Korin meaning out loud. We recite Kirat Shema out loud. That's why he uses the word Korin. There's what to be said about that. The two writes that it's important when you reach Shema Yisrael to have Kavanah. One of the ways we know to have Kavanah is to say something loud enough that you can hear it. So by the Sephardim, what happens is that the Chazan reads Kirat Shema out loud, and then everyone reads along quietly. By the Temanim, in the Yemenite community, Rabbi Yosef Kapach, has a letter, maybe not a letter, it's an article, in his book, of, it's a three-volume book on his assorted writings. He writes about, it's okay to mix up minhagim, to take a minhag here, throw a minhag there. So, but he never understood why the Yemenite community abandoned superior minhagim for inferior minhagim. And one of those minhagim he was very upset about was this recitation of Shema Yisrael. The Midrash, I believe in Shir Hashirim Rabbah, I believe, but don't hold me to it. And this I didn't tell you last time. The Midrash in Shir Hashirim Rabbah says that there's n- un- un- unbelievable words about what happens when a Kadosh Baruch listens to Am Yisrael saying Kiryat Shema, everybody out loud, everybody together, word for word, the Kila says Shema Yisrael together. The only community that still does that on earth is the Yemenite community. Nobody else out loud, everybody in the same tune, in the same time, in the same tempo, everybody says Shema Yisrael together. So why would we abandon a minhag that the Shira Shirim Rabbah tells us is so great? For an inferior practice of one person reading it in Tameh Amika with the tune of the Torah reading. Why? 
It's a good question. I didn't come to answer. But perhaps here you could also say, Korin, out loud, there's something to be said. Chachamim clearly believed that saying Kriyat Shema out loud was important. Let's keep moving. Ba'aravin. Ba'aravin. If I was going to tell you, come to my house tomorrow night in Hebrew. Tomorrow evening. I would say, come to me, machar ba... Ba'erev. Come to me tomorrow evening. Ba'erev. Why ba'aravin? Aravin is... It's nights, plural. Ba'aravin. The Gona Vilna suggests in this book, Shnot Aliyah, something interesting, that there's two nights. There's the night that begins after Chatzot, and there's the night that begins after sunset. And therefore, the time, of the time between the first night and the second night is referred to by Chachamim as Ben Ha... Ben Ha... Ben Harbaim, between the evenings. And that's why Chachamim used this language of Ba'aravin. The truth is, the truth is that if you look in the Mishnah, and I mentioned this to you last time, many editions of the Mishnayot, right here, Nematai Korin Etchma, Ba'arvit, with a taf at the end, Nananun. By the way, there's also Ba'aravin, Be'aravin. I'm not, a, I'm not an expert in Dikduk. You'd have to ask one of our Tamil Chamim that we know about Diktuk and to see which of these is, is correct or not. Erev. Let's talk about the word Erev. Erev. What does the word Erev mean? Evening. Why Erev? Why not Laila? What does the word Erev mean? Laila means night. Erev means evening. But what does Erev mean? The word in Hebrew, Erev. Very good. Erev from Lashon Irbuv. La'arbev, that when things get mixed up, so there were two different mixings, the Radak and Sever Shorashim. The Radak writes, Bizman, at this time, the day begins to get dark, and a person gets confused. They don't know anymore, they can't differentiate between things that they're seeing. So things get confused, irbuv, that's why it's called erev. The Gaon Avilna on Mishle, the Pasuk Mishle in chapter 7, Pasuk 9, says, Beneshech Be'erev Yom. And over there, he says, the beginning of Laila, the beginning of night is called erev, because it's a time where Yom Valaila, day and night are me'ubavim. I believe my mother just said that. Day and night are mixed. And because of that, it's called erev. I mentioned to you that if you would like and in our Knesset, we have a Hebrew-English set of this. If you want to look in the Ramban, the commentary of Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman, on the book of Shemot, chapter 12, Pasuk 6, over there the Ramban has a very lengthy essay on the word Erev in general, and it's beautiful things if you want to look that up and read them for yourself. So, so far, Me'matai, Korin, Shema, Ba'aravin, we've covered all those words. The next sentence is, from when do we reach Shema in the evening? Misha'asha Kohanim, read with me, Kohanim, Nichnasim Le'echol Bitrumatan. From when the Kohanim enter to eat their Tehuma. Enter, enter where? Enter from what? We mentioned four different understandings here. The first is the Imre Noam. 
Imei Noam says, why does it say from when they enter to eat their Tumah? And it doesn't say from when they eat their Tumah? Because at this point in time, if when you're allowed to eat your Tumah is when three stars come out. And when are you obligated to say Shema Yisrael is when three stars come out. And you're not allowed to eat dinner before you read Shema Yisrael, before you pray Alvit. So then how could the Kohanim eat their Tumah? They couldn't. They couldn't. Says the Noam. That's why it says, for when the Kohanim enter to eat their Tumah. They enter. Meaning, are they eating it yet? No, they're not eating it yet. Right now they've only entered. That's the understanding number one. Number two, Tiveret Israel in Yachin, he writes, and this is true, if anyone who lived in the old city, you're familiar with this uh, geography, the mikvaot, the ritual baths, which the Kohanim would immerse in before they would go up to the Temple Mount, are outside of the Temple Mount. And because of that, Nikhnasim, literally they entered. They entered, meaning they went from outside of the, the Temple Mount into the Temple Mount of the Halabite. And because of that, it uses the word Nikhnasim. Siftei Chachamim, he mentions Nikhnasim mituma the Tara. They leave Tuma, I mean, they leave a place of impurity, if I lack a better English word. Then they enter a place of Tara, a place of purity. And so it's not a physical leaving or entering, it's a more spiritual leaving of one state and entering into another state. The Rama Mipano, Mifano. Truth is, how you read it, it's up to you. He writes, Bisfarim Mishanim, in the old books, the original Girsa was Nikhnasin the Tumatan. They enter to their Tuma. Why? Because not only were they not allowed to eat their tirumah, like the Imre Noam said, but until they went to the mikveh, and until three stars came out, they were not even allowed to touch their tirumah. And because it doesn't say nichnasim lechol, it said nichnasim letumatam. They would enter to their tirumah, but it wasn't even, they weren't even allowed to touch it yet. I mean, they had to stay away from it until this time of day came about. And here leads us to a fascinating conversation, which has ramifications later on, which we're going to mention in just a few minutes. There's a book, Tzlach, Tzion the Nefesh Chaya. Tzlach mentions that according to him, it's permissible for the Kohanim, it's permissible for the Kohanim to eat their Tehumah before they say Shema Yisrael. So where do we know that? Where does it say that in our Mishnah? Not all at once. Where in our Mishnah does it say the Kohanim can eat their Tehumah before they say Kiryat Shema? Explain. How do I know that they can eat? They're allowed to eat before they say Kiryat Shema. Where does it say that in the Mishnah? So if it didn't say, so that's not an answer to my question. It says two things happen at the same time. What, what things happen at the same time? Three stars come out, two things happen then. The first is... The two mitzvahs have become active. Two mitzvahs are activated then, it's very good. The first, the mitzvah of eating their tehumah. 
the mitzvah, the, the permissibility of eating at Tawuma. The second is the mitzvah of Kiryat Shema. Says the Tzlach, according to his understanding, is that from here you see the Kohanim are allowed to eat their Tawuma before Kiryat Shema. These two times coincide. This is when they went to eat. So when was there's no there's no momentary gap here in which they could say Kirechma. The Marsha disagrees. The Marsha says it's not correct. Rather, now is the time Shehuta. It's permissible for them to eat their Tuma in terms of purity and impurity. But in terms of their obligations, they still have to recite Shema first. The Ginze Yosef has some kind of middle ground opinion. Ginze Yosef says there are two instances where a Kohen is allowed to eat before he recites Shema. The first is when he's just tasting his Tehuma. Like, you know, you're just tasting the food from Shabbat. There are halachot. What happens if someone tastes a little bit of food that's meat? Do they actually become besari or not? You taste a little bit of the Shabbat food. Or the second situation in which a Kohen does not have to say Kriyat Shema before he eats is in a situation where his meal began before sunset. He's having dinner anyways. An early dinner. Happens to be, now the, he went to the mikveh, now the three stars come out. Do you have to hop out of your dinner table to go pray Arvit? You don't have to. You wait until after you finish dinner. The same thing here with the Kohanim. The Kohanim began eating before dinner, before the three stars came out. And now when it happened, they didn't have to leave their meal in order to go eat, uh, to recite Kirechma. This is very important. Yeah. Right, you have to read it that way, in that opinion. Very good. So now let's bring this to the word Kohanim. Kohanim, who else can eat Tehuma? Who else is allowed to eat Tehuma? Only Kohanim, just Kohanim. So then how could it be? Well, why does the Mishnah need to tell us from when the Kohanim enter to eat their Tehuma? It comes to exclude who? What does it come to teach us? This is exactly what the Tzlach said. This is his proof. You might say Kohanim and not Kohanot. The Kohanot, are they allowed to eat their Tehuma before saying Kriyashma? Can a Kohenet? Yes. Yes, why? She's not obligated to recite Kriyashma at night. Because of that, it doesn't say Kohanot. It intentionally says Kohanim to teach you what? To teach you what the Tzlach has always been saying. That a Kohen is allowed to eat his Tehuma before he's a Shema Yisrael. Really the question is on everybody else. According to everybody else, what is the purpose of using the word Kohen? Who else can eat Tehuma? What halakha are you trying to teach us in the Mishnah with the word Kohanim? I don't have an answer for you. I, I simply have a question on those who disagree with the Tzlach. Bitumatan. We said in their Tehuma. The Kohanim enter to eat their Tehuma. Their Tehuma? Why not Mishash HaKohanim Nechnesim Lechol Bitehuma? Nechnesim Lechol Tehuma. Why Bitehuma Tan? Their Tehuma. Their portion. Okay. 
tell me, so, so why? Why not just stay Tilma? What does it mean, their portion? Very good. Tosvot Yom Tov says, if you look on the next page, we're going to talk about different times of meals. One of the times of the meals we mention, from when people come home to eat their bread, their bread on Erev Shabbat. Meaning food that's, when you go come home from the Bera Knesset, do you start cooking then? No. When you go from the Bera Knesset, some people are torturous. You come home from the Bera Knesset, they sit around talking, they're cutting salads. I, mamash, I tell you, I'm a kabdan. From when I come home to when I start my meal, it has to be a short amount of time. By the way, it's a Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch says, what? Friday night Kiddush. When do you do Friday night Kiddush? Miyad. Immediately you come to your house, you say Kiddush. That's the first thing you do. Shabbat Shalom, Yala Kiddush. What about Shalom Anachem, Eshat Chayil, Bar Yochai, what about all of that? Clearly Maran didn't say those things. Okay, let's say maybe he did. Fine, maybe he did. Okay. He did, but he said it fast. I don't know what to tell you. You want to you read him? You want to read our Judaism into him? Fine. But how can you take so long? Bitumatan is it's already ready for them. Their food is ready. Like a person who comes home on Erev Shabbat and his, it's kind of like I'm going home to eat dinner versus I'm going home to eat my dinner. My dinner means it's already there. Dinner is, uh, I don't know, whatever I find in the fridge, I throw it together, I might have to take something out of the freezer, or cook something, buy something. But when I say my dinner, come have your dinner. Your, I mean, it's there already. And that's why it says bitumatan, in their tilma. So we already explained mishmeret. Mishmeret is a watch, a guard. Like, it's when someone has a job. Omed ha mishmar. A person is, is obligated. Uh, they, they have a job to do. Right? When you're in the army, you're, you're on mishmar right now. A person is a mishmarot in the yeshiva. They take turns learning Torah, so nobody stops learning Torah. A mishmar. We mentioned the mishmar of the angels. You're the only one who braved the storm tonight, Baruch. <laughs> tonight you're the only one here. <laughs> Everyone else is on Zoom. So, I'm... so we say, maybe just two more points for tonight before we, we head out to this review. Rashi, let's read Rashi. Remember Rashi here on the last one on the Mishnah. Let's read it together. Yes? Rashi says, explaining why the Chachamim say you have only until mid. When Rashi is explaining why the Chachamim say that you have only until midnight, wouldn't really have until the morning, the Mishnah answers, to distance a person from Avera. It's the last Rashi Baruch and the Mishnah. So it's the last one before it's, uh, it's the Gemara. It's on page uh, two, 2a. Is that it? Right, 2a. And Chachamim forbade us from eating 
these things even earlier than, than they should have. So you wouldn't come to eat them at a forbidden time, which is after dawn. And you'll, a person will be liable for karet. I mean, you're only allowed to eat these sacrifices until a certain amount of time, until a certain time in the morning. It's dawn. So Chachamim say you only have it until midnight. Why? Because they don't want you to mess up and eat it after dawn, and then you're guilty of something that is not good. The same thing with Kirachma. Lizarez et Adam to to hurry a person, to encourage a person. I still have more time. I have more time. I have more time. Whenever you push things off, sometimes they get pushed off too far. And from this, dawn will rise. And then he lost the time. How do you make up a Kirachma if you miss Kirachma? How do you make up Kirachma? How do you make up an Amidah? You forgot to say Amidah for Mincha, whatever reason. How do you make up an Amidah? Very good. So by Arvit, you say it twice. What about Shema Yisrael? Nothing you can do. Nothing you can do. So Chachamim don't want you to reach a place where you, you come to this place if there's nothing you could do. So because of that, they told you until midnight. Now Rashi here is bothered by something in the Mishnah. Because the Mishnah says, about hekter chelavim ve'evarim. That you have, hekter chelavim ve'evarim are the burning of the fats and the limbs. Rashi says, hekter chelavim, dektane hacha, the burning of the fats that we mentioned here, lo amru bo chachamim at chatzot kla. Our chachamim, are nowhere on record telling us that you only have until midnight to do them. And therefore the only reason why Rabban Gabniel even mentions it here, or the, the author of the Mishnah mentions it here, they only mention for the very simple teaching of everything that you can do at night, you could do the whole night. And that's like in the second chapter of Megillah. The whole night is kasher for the harvesting the Omer and for the burning of the chalavim ve'evarim, the fats and the limbs. We mentioned that Rashi seems to be bothered. Here, Rabban Gamliel is trying to give us an example of a place where Chachamim say until midnight, and really you can do it until the morning. And what's the example he gives us? An example is not a good example. He chooses something that Chachamim never say you can't do until midnight, according to Rashi. Understand the problem? Rabban Gamliel is choosing this example from all the examples he could come up with. Or the author of the Mishnah is giving us this example. But according to Rashi, it's a flawed example. Why? Why is it a flawed example? He's trying to teach us the message of anything that you can do until midnight, really, you can do until the next morning. Just like the burning of the fats in the limbs. What's the problem with this example, says Rashi? What does it say in Masechet Megillah? Someone help me out. What does it say there? Very good. You could do the whole night. Chachamim over there, when they talk about burning of the fats in the limbs, don't tell us anything about midnight. So rather, the only thing you can learn from this teaching is Anything you can do at night, you can do the whole night. 
But that's a problematic way, in my opinion, or our opinion, to read the Mishnah. It's much simpler when you look at the Rambam. If you look at the Rambam, Hilchot Maaseh Korbanot, in chapter 4, the second halakha, you're welcome to open that up if you like. The Rambam writes that also here, the Chachamim told us until Chatzot. Also by the burning of the fats and the limbs, you only have it until midnight according to the Chachamim. If you miss it, you can do it the whole night. But you ideally have to finish by midnight. Tosafot, in Masechet Pesachim, they say the same thing, like the Rambam, not like Ashi. How would the Rambam understand the Gemara from Megillah then? Very good. How would the Rambam understand when the Gemara Megillah says you could do it the whole night? So where does it say, where do Chachamim limit us by Chatzot? How did the Rambam get the limitation of Chatzot? So the Meiri explains. The Meiri says that the Gemara and Megillah didn't have to write until midnight. Because from here, you already learn that anything that you can do until the morning, Chachamim only give you until midnight. Meaning, the Meiri says, the Rambam, it, if you read the Gemara Megillah isolated from the rest of the Talmud, then you'll say, well, over there it doesn't say anything about Chatzot. But you cannot read the Gemara Megillah isolated from the first Mishnah in the, in the Talmud, which tells you that everything Chachamim say until the midnight uh, until, is really until the morning. And that also teaches you that anything you can do until the morning, Chachamim would only let you do until midnight. And the Rambam's source is here. This happens often, that people read things, and they only know a limited context of something. And they make mistakes because of that. You have this sometimes, I'll tell you where you find this, in the laws of Hechsher Kelim, making utensils kasher. Because you have two places in Shulchan Aruch where it talks about making utensils kasher. Anybody know? No, don't tell me chapters, just general areas, general locations. Where's the first instance of making utensils kasherim on, uh, in the Shulchan Aruch? Anybody? Can you the question again? Where's the first instance of Shulchan Aruch where it mentions making utensils kasher? No, I'm, I'm talking in Shulchan Aruch, not in, in history. Oh, Shulchan It's obviously in Yoreh De'ah, right? Yoreh De'ah is all about kashering things, utensils, basar uh, b'chalav, uh, taruvot. That's the second mention of Hechshar Kenim. Where's the first mention of Hechshar Kenim? I'll give you a hint. It must be in Orach Chaim, but where? In which context could Maran talk about making utensils kasher in Orach Chaim? Very good, for Pesach. For Pesach. For Pesach, before Maran tells you about making utensils kasherim in general, he first talks to you specifically about Pesach. There are many, many mistakes that I've noticed in the way people learn Hichot Kashud in general, but Hichshel Kelim in particular, because they read Maran in either place isolated from himself. Or sometimes they will look, the Ramah doesn't argue with Maran in Yoredeah. That's right. Ramat doesn't argue with Maran in Yoredea because already in Orach Chaim he argued with Maran. He's not going to repeat himself a second time over here. Or sometimes they say, well, Maran is strict about this, but over here he's not. Because here it's Pesach, and here it's not Pesach. They're two different things. So you have to read Torah in context. And this is an example of that. According to the Rambam, 
and not just him, Tosafot, the Meiri. In context, every time you see a mitzvah that happens all night, really you only have until Chatzot, according to Chachamim. And that's where the Rambam gets it from. Really, the question is why Rashi doesn't read it that way. And maybe we'll look up somewhere commentaries on Rashi. For right now, my last hara, uh, my last analyzation for tonight. Yeah? Very good. Korban Pesach has uh, its own halachot. But you'll notice, you'll notice, very interesting, when it comes to the laws of eating the afikoman and having to finish it before chatzot, you get into a similar conversation here also. Meaning, is until chatzot only on an ideal level and then afterwards it's still okay? Or after chatzot it's over, you're done, you lost the opportunity. I recall seeing a, a fascinating conversation there with most of the poskim that I recall saying that midnight is midnight, there's nothing you could do. But others explain that midnight is, is midnight, only the chadkhila, but, but the avad, it's okay afterwards. We have to look up Yechot Kumban Pesach. Yosef, you found yourself some homework. Okay? And let me know what you find, please. The word mishteh. The children of Rabban Gamliel came back from a mishteh. What is a mishteh? A mishteh, we gave four different... Very good. So, so Rashi writes like that. If you look in, in Megillat Esther, Megillat Esther, in the fifth chapter, in the fourth pasuk, Rashi has a comment on the word seuda, and he says every seuda, every meal is called a mishteh because of the wine that is served in that meal, and the wine is the ikav. I'm not a wine lover, so for me, the wine is never the ikav of a meal, but for some people. They only eat their steak so they could drink a bottle of wine along with that steak. It's an excuse for drinking. A mishteh is, is any meal. So it's a meal. They went somewhere to eat. They didn't go to the bar to drink shots. You know, it's not where the children of Rabban Gamliel were. We say mishteh, mishteh refers to food. Food that has drink. Rabbi Natan Av HaYeshiva. He's an interesting personality. Rabbi Natan, the, the father of the yeshiva, the head of the yeshiva. Uh, you can look him up online. Interesting questions. Who he was, what he was. He writes that mishteh is not any type of meal, but mishteh is a specific meal of, of a wedding. Every time there's a wedding, it's called a mishteh. And I remember that when my rabbis taught me this Gemara, they always, the Mishnah, they always would tell me, Rabban Gamliel's students, uh, children came back from a wedding. I mean, that's a mishteh. And there's context like that in the Talmud where you see Mishteh as a wedding. Rambam says that Mishteh is a bit Mishteh Hayayin. It's a place where people go to drink alcohol. I don't know that any of these commentaries necessarily are arguing with each other. Maybe. But not necessarily. So we know where Rabban Gamliel's sons were. They were in a wedding, they were in a meal, they were drinking alcohol, they were, they were somewhere where they were drinking. So why didn't they read Kirat Shema? Why? Why? Meiri tells us, a common sense. Why did they forget? Because it was a simcha. Which kind of simcha? The wedding. That's only according to the opinion that says this was a wedding. The common denominator between the Rambam and Rashi and Rabbi Natan Yeshiva is that there was alcohol. They were drunk. In Astam, they drank too much. 
they fell asleep. I don't want to say they're drunk, but they fell asleep. Whatever it was, that wine makes a person's heart happy. It also makes a person's mind forgetful. And they forgot to say Shema because they were under the influence of alcohol. By the way, it could be something else. You want to say something else? If you like to say something else, don't accuse them of being drunk, but they knew the halakha well, that a person who drank a sufficient amount of alcohol is forbidden from praying. praying. Any person who's under the influence of alcohol and they pray, what does the Gemara say about them? Kilo? Kilo Oved Like he worshipped idols. I never understood for the life of me how certain Batei Knesset, they hand that alcohol in the middle of tefillah. Or sometimes you come to Bet Knesset, and you see these guys, they come to Shacharit, Musaf, by Kiddush, these guys are drinking bottles and bottles and not just wine. And then they say, oh, we want to do an early milcha so we don't have to come back later. Lazy people. So why do they do that? They, they now drink alcohol and then they pray milcha. Purim. You have clowns. And they took the, the clown minhag very literally. They get drunk on Purim. I don't, I don't want to know anyone who gets drunk on Purim. He gets drunk on Purim. And now he prays Begad Mazon. He says Mincha. He prays Arvit. You're not allowed to pray. Perhaps they were just waiting for this to pass. If I recall correctly, I once read a story about Chacham of Yosef. You know, the Posek is, should be careful not to be Posek Halachot under the influence of alcohol. And I recall once a story about Chacham of Yosef that someone came to ask him a very important question on Halacha, Friday night. And he would not go to his table to do Kiddush until he found the answer in Halakha. His family waited for him for a few hours. They could have done Kiddush on their own. He wasn't holding them back. But they, out of respect to him, waited. And when they asked him why he waited, he said, once I drink a glass of wine, I am already afraid of being that way. I heard the story. I wasn't there. I can't tell you for sure. To be very careful about what we do when we're under the influence of alcohol. The Taz... If you look in Orachim, Siman Reish Lamedhei, the Taz over there asks a question. How did the sons of Rabban Gamliel drink before they before they said Kriyachma? Very good. How could they do it? Because they started the meal before nightfall. That's very good. That's why the opinion of the Ginzei Yosef we mentioned before, the Ginzei Yosef's opinion is very good. They must have started the wedding, you know, like a chuppah outside, pretend, before uh, sunset. And now they were already drinking and, and they didn't stop for Kirachma. That's how they drank. Because they drank Beheter. Because they started Beheter with permission, they didn't have to stop. And I think that's the answer. That's the real answer here. They didn't do something wrong, Chazrulam. Rosh doesn't call them out doing something wrong. And this is precisely the reason why Chachamim tried to stop us from doing an Avera by giving us only until Chatzot, when we have until the morning. You should know, in general, this conversation of, is it fair to pretend? Is it fair to tell people that this is the line, so they don't cross it even more? When you teach Torah, we know there's a, our Chachamim have a commandment, Torah. you should make a fence for the Torah. I think one of the frustrations of your average Jew today is all the fences. Why so many fences? I wrote in my book about this. Not every mitzvah needs a fence. And even the mitzvot that have fences, it's your obligation to teach your family, to teach your students, this is the mitzvah, and this is the fence. So that chas v'shalom, you won't come into a situation like Adam al-Chava. Remember Adam al-Chava? 
The Gemara asks, Minayin shekol hamosif gorea. How do you know that everybody who's mosif, who adds to the mitzvot, is gorea? He is also taking away from the mitzvot? From Adam and Chava. Hashem told them, don't eat from the tree. Adam told her, what did he tell her? HaKadosh Baruch said, don't eat from the tree. Adam says, don't touch the tree. What does she end up doing? She ends up touching the tree. And because she sees when she touches the tree that nothing happened to her, then everything else, everything else falls apart. It's very dangerous. We play a very dangerous game. We're not honest with people. It's okay to tell people, this is permissible according to the Torah. And our Chachamim forbade us from doing it, and we are rabbinic Jews. That's fine. But don't lie to people. You have to be honest when you answer a question, when you share with somebody a question, to tell them the truth. Also your children. The Gader is that it exists, we don't do it. But not to mislead people. People are going to say, oh look, I, I did it already, so that's it, I threw it out. It happens so often. That people think, once I did something, how many times people do Averot? You know, most of the questions I get in Kashrut, that people call me, Rabbi, I put a pan and a pot and a this and a that. What happens? What's it going to be? 99% of the questions I get are not even questions. These people are so involved in Chumot that they violated a thousand Chumot, but not one Halakha. So everything is fine. Don't worry, just, just wash your pot and it's going to be okay. They never did anything wrong. They didn't get close enough to Halakha to do something wrong. I was once in charge of kashrut at a wedding. And in my house, things work very different than when I do kashrut with a whole team of non-Jewish workers. In my house, I'm not going to say on camera my house. You know my house. You know what I do in my house. But here, not there's a meat sink and a dairy sink and a meat oven and a dairy oven. I had two rooms, two kitchens. We had a lot of that. The wedding clearly paid a lot of money for it. This is the meat kitchen, and this is the dairy kitchen. This is the meat storage room, this is the dairy storage room. Nothing can cross. There's a border here. You need a passport to get through. Why? It's not normal. It's not normal to live your life like that. That's how most people's kitchens are. But it's not true. That's not halakha. But when you deal with children, you deal with people who don't know, so you have to put the lines. That if your whole life you're living like an amharet, your whole life you're living like a person who doesn't know Torah mitzvah, it can't be that way forever. So it's okay to know that this is only a, a, a siyad. It's only offense. It's only offense. The Gemara tells us in Berachot, page Dalit, anybody who violates the words of Chachamim, Chayav Mita is liable for the death penalty. Don't, don't take lightly a rabbinic prohibition. Okay, for next week, we're going to get really into Agada. I'm not going to do any more halakha, no more of the analyzation of the Mishnah. Rather, we're going to take apart concepts now. As I'm going to ask you for next week, a few thoughts, just think through things. The word me'ematai, what does me'ematai mean? From when? The concepts in this Mishnah. Think about spiritual significance of things like evening, midnight, Morning, dawn, daytime. Shemaisa'in. Why of all the things the Mishnah could begin with, does the Mishnah begin talking about Shemaisa'in in the first place? You wake up and say, I'm going to sleep now. Why do you start with my day ending, my day starting? Why not start with the morning berachot? Why not start with shacharit, from when I reach by in the morning? 
So we mentioned the truth is the Torah says first b'shoch b'cha and then uvkumecha. The Torah first says go to sleep and then wake up. Okay, so why Shema at all? Why not a different mitzvah? Why not the first mitzvah mentioned in the Torah? Why not start there? There must be a reason for this order. And next week, we're going to start taking apart pieces of this Mishnah, not in a halachic sense, but entirely in a sense of Agadah. And like I warned you before, in all of the introductions that we did, there is no Bet Midrash that is not appropriate to pull ideas of Agadah from. We're not dealing with halacha. Concepts of halacha must remain as the Rambam ruled, Shukhan Aruchos ruled. That's all that I have. But when it comes to ideas and emunah, yisodot, foundations, emunot, beliefs, we don't have to accept everyone's beliefs, but it's appropriate in our Bet Midrash to take from everyone, to take from everywhere. So don't be surprised. You're going to get from different Chachamim, it could be as eclectic as the Benishchai and Rav Kook and some Hasidic Rebbe you may never heard of before. It doesn't make a difference. I'm not here to make you a Hasid or f- turn you into a follower of Rav Kook. We're just learning this sugya from as many angles that we can possibly tackle Agadah as possible. We'll begin next week with the first question. Why does this Mishnah begin with the laws of Shema Yisrael? And what is the significance of Shema Yisrael in our everyday life? With that, that is tonight's you. If anybody has any questions, please feel free to ask me. I'm here.